Hello and welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. In this episode, we meet Paralympian Richard Whitehead, who's heading to Tokyo to try to win his third consecutive 200 meters gold. Not only has Richard competed in the last two Paralympics, he's also achieved all manner of extraordinary feats, including breaking the marathon world record and running 40 marathons in 40 days. He was even awarded an MBE for his services to athletics back in 2013. Richard, welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. <laughs> Hi, um, what a great introduction! Yeah, I've, I've done loads of loads of cool things. I think it's, I think for me, it's always been always been like doing things that enrich my life and other people around me, but also just enjoying stuff as well. I think when we look at competitive sport, we look at the pressures and the, the expectation. But I do a, I do a lot of it just because I really enjoy sport and I enjoy not just physical health, but also the mental health side of it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing because I think so much of that comes through. And I've seen footage of you when you're competing. More than anything else, I mean, obviously, you're amazing, clearly, because you're winning all this stuff. But more than anything else, you can see the enjoyment. And I think that you really do get a sense of that. I wonder if like, you sort of you buzz off that a little bit as well, because it looks like you do. Yeah, the, the crowd that, that support me, and whether that's through like, social media or whether that's in person... You get that energy from the public and the appetite for you to continue your journey. And I think sometimes the narrative around professional sport is always that driving for gold in that top of the podium. And I've done that so many times, whether it's with my four world titles or, my, like you say, my two Paralympic golds. But the, the real thing that drives me is the when you connect with somebody through the power of sport that dis, that's disconnected in society and they can kind of get something from your performance that really changes their life. And it's not somebody that's got a disability or somebody that's a white male. That This could be anybody. Yeah. And that's why when you look at my kind of my history of work on the track or off the track, I've tried to push myself, whether it's humanitarian work in the Middle East, whether it's working in America for a year, whether it's my athletic career on the road or the track. I've always tried to kind of go the extra mile just just to make sure my core values are where they should be and also try to reach those people that, that haven't really connected before and get them to understand that a power sport isn't just about participation. It's about kind of really getting to, to grips with how sport can empower you. It's amazing that, isn't it? And I sort of find myself wondering where, where it all comes from because not not every athlete is like you, I think it's fair to say. You know, some athletes... No, I expect them to be, though. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, because That's... some athletes are just so driven, you know, to, to succeed, to win, you know, gold, 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 world record, whatever yeah. it is. But there's yeah. so much more to you, I think it's fair to say. Is it, do you think it's based on something from the past in terms of, you know, were you kind of inspired by somebody at some point back in the day, maybe? I think I, I've, I have been one of those athletes that have been driven for perfection and continued success. Like 10 years, I was top of my top of my game in the 200 metres and then before that in the marathon and half marathon. But I think you're always searching for more at that point. And on the track or on the road, if you're continually searching and, and then it's that, that self-gratification really. And I think for me, it's always been more than that. And... It's the medals mean something to me. That Paralympic gold medal from London mm. means so much more 
than the shiny gold medal that it is. And to be able to share that with other people and to talk about what it takes to be successful and what success looks like to me. And success looks like lots of different things for lots of different people. But I think for me, it goes back to like my childhood and um, my parents being working class parents from like Yorkshire and traveling down to Nottingham where my granddad was a, a farmer and then setting the roots in Nottingham and being in a small village, having a, a child with a disability and then having to overcome so many barriers have taught me about that I wasn't born with a silver spoon and I've had to work for everything that I've achieved in life. But it's it's, it's not a bad thing. I, I don't think some of the things that I've had to go through has been a bad thing. It's been It's given me more tools to be able to be successful in my career. And I want to continue to be successful, whether I'm 21, 31, 41 or 51. I want to continue to be pushing myself every day. That's amazing. You talk about what it takes for success. And I, and I think one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about in this podcast episode was is about really, the, you know, the work that you've done to get to the top. Because, you know, as you said, consistently for so many years now, you have been achieving amazing things. What does go behind that? Because I think a lot of people don't really realise the effort that goes in on a daily basis. It's not just about, oh, you know, the Paralympics is coming up in a few months. I better start, yeah. better start, better start, uh, you know, going to the gym. you know what's what's really involved in it and then the interesting thing is like my parents don't understand it i'll pop around to my parents and my mum would be like oh what you've done today training oh is that it i'm like (laughs) it's like for me training starts when i get up in the morning and that preparing for the sessions and then all the way through to my track sessions my gym sessions i've got a pilates machine at home running machine sauna swim spa I've got all these kind of things, as well as my team around me. So I've got obviously coach, strength condition coaches, two of them, soft tissue uh, therapists, uh, physios. These are people, doctors. These are people that I work with tirelessly to try and push myself to get that extra two or three percent. And these are people that I put in place to not only make me better, but hopefully I push them to provide me with the extra tools that they've got in their bag as well. It's it's something that when as a as an able-bodied person or somebody that works a nine-to-five job, imagine every four or five years having to deliver on one certain day at a certain time and you have to deliver your best. Whether you're feeling crappy, whether you've gone through COVID, you've, uh, an illness, a sickness in your, your family whether your cars broke down or whatever, on that day, you've got to perform. And then you've got four or five years to make sure you're in the best shape mentally and physically. It's really tough and it takes a certain kind of person to do that. Yeah, I mean, it just just that that sounds frightening to me, to be honest. To, to have to do it on that day, uh, you know, <laughs> you know that build up, that four or five year build up, like you say, preparation, 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 key to success. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying um, that you're you're 45 years old now. Young. Uh, but you, 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 45 years young. <laughs> thank you for correcting me. You, you look in you look in tremendous shape. I saw a video of you on Twitter in the gym, working really hard. But you know, I don't know what was going on inside. You made it look pretty effortless. Uh, c- c- certainly, to my mind. Is that a sort of good example of what is going on? That, like, you know, I don't know when you, I think you posted that probably a few weeks ago, but on a daily basis, that is what you're doing. You're in the gym. Would that be every day in the gym? Are you working that hard every day? So, my, my, my program, and this changes depending where you are in your cycle, but this, the, my program is a six day 
training week and then even on the Sunday I might be racing right and that consists of four track sessions so three with my coach and then another session which would be with my my starts specialist and then I do three gym sessions a week and then I run on the road like I say do my Pilates sessions stretching all my recovery strategies at home it's probably a 45 hour week of training just training for obviously the 200 which for me is like 22 23 seconds yeah so it's a lot of hard work but it's it's all focused and having these people that are honest and trustworthy that can really provide you with the feedback and data that allow you continue to push forwards it's not something that that happens overnight and as a, a performance athlete you're developing as an athlete as well as de- developing a team. Wow. It sounds like, you know, such hard work and it sounds like it's so intense, but it also sounds a little bit like you're very much used to it, that this is this is what life's like for you. This is what it's been like for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely has. And and then I'm a father, so I've got two young children as well. I run a, a podcast myself with Ellen White called Track and Ball, which is very successful. I do other things as well. So I've got a foundation that I've just setting up. Yeah. So all these kind of things on top of being an athlete. But I think it's, it's good because I feel it, it makes you a rounded individual. And I always want to work with good people to make me a good athlete. And a good athlete will hopefully make me a great athlete. And I still feel I've got areas to improve. I still feel that, what well, I know I still enjoy training, which is one of my, my big kind of things. If I'm not enjoying my training, then I'm not going to do it. I also feel that there's always areas to improve and whether that's personally or professionally and people around me are always identifying those areas as well so I'm, I'm, I've got that open kind of conversation where with my team where if they identify an area we chat about it we discuss it it's never dismissed it's always a conversation and I think that being a, a successful person business person maybe or, or sports person you need to be a great communicator Communication isn't all about vocally. It could be uh, like like postulate also about kind of being proactive with how you communicate with your team. And hopefully they've found over the last one or two cycles that I'm, I'm definitely on the front foot with that instead of, instead of actually waiting for things to happen. Wow. I just have to mention one of my favorite athletics videos that I've seen is, is your 200 at London 2012. Now I'm I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's been played millions of times and I'm sure you probably never tire of watching it yourself, but for any, any listeners that haven't seen it, you, you have to watch this race. I just wanted to ask you one thing about that, which was, was that always the plan? Because for anyone you know that doesn't know, when you come round the straight, you look at this and you just think, well, there's no way you're, you're getting a medal here. No, never, no. never mind winning this race. You, you know, there's no way you're even in the shake-up in the end. And yet, no. you know, then something extraordinary happens. Yeah, no, I think obviously looking back at my life as well, you kind of see that things kind of take its turn and um, it's quite, I'm quite slow, obviously, obviously off the start and mm. then kind of ramp up my running and you hear the crowd come with me and... I always talk about this jet engine effect where I just had this kind of vibration in my ears where 80,000 people kind of cheer me on down the home straight. And it was very much a, a moment where I crossed the finish line, obviously running through these other athletes and then showing the, the biceps at the end. It's it's more of a sign of look, anything's possible. Don't, don't discount yourself. And I remember talking to my coach 
before 2012, Liz Yelling, and she's a marathon coach herself. And, mm. and, and we sat down with with Martin Yelling, her husband, and we, we chatted about 2012 when it was announced in 2005 and what that would look like for me. And for me, it was it was about being there and, and having that platform to to really shape the disability community and sports community moving forwards. And it was never about winning a gold medal and having that kind of real, really triumphant kind of race or celebration. But yeah, even even like the year before when I went to the World Championships, I went to the World Championships in New Zealand and I was the last person that was selected for that team and I ended up winning in New Zealand. So I took that into obviously 2012 and it it was such a, from like 2012 to now, it's been such a whirlwind of kind of great highs, some real hard work, some real self-discovery. And I think the world has changed for disabled people over that time, and especially disability sport has. Still got a, a long way to go and still mm. some challenges to overcome. But to be part of that and to be one of the figureheads of that in the stadium, like there's only nine people that's won gold medals in the Olympics or Paralympics in that stadium and to be part of that with the likes of obviously Jess, Mo, Greg, Dave Weir, Johnny Peacock is, is, is very special. Yeah, well, you can never take that away. Uh, and yeah, it's quite extraordinary. I would urge anybody who hasn't seen that to uh, to check it out. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking on the eve of the, um, the Tokyo uh, Games. Tokyo, yeah. I'd imagine that all the focus right now is on Tokyo, but pr- presumably you're hoping that you can that you can come up with the goods again. Yeah, and it's been really tough, hasn't it, for sportsmen and women in the in the pandemic and the Olympics is on at the moment, and you can see the see the stories that it's affected people in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, athletes have had COVID maybe once or twice and been successful. Athletes haven't made their respective teams because of that. Financially, people have been affected as well as emotionally and physically. People have lost, obviously, loved ones as well. So, And also, the Games is a year later. So you will find that some athletes that might have peaked last year are not able to get up to the same kind of performance that they did last year because we work in four-year cycles. When four years be- is five years, maybe that opens up new opportunities for new athletes mm. or takes them away from others. So for me, last year... I put so much work into the winter. I'd kind of said that Tokyo was at that point was going to be my last. Yeah. And I was the lowest body weight that I've ever been. Like at 43, I was 8% body fat, really low weight. My nutrition was on point. I started to make some really drastic changes in my diet. So I'd only meet twice a week. Having a very much meat-free diet the other days. I'd really invested a lot of time in my recovery, so recovery st- strategies had changed. And after the the March when it was cancelled, it, it it took I would say about six months to get myself and my mind motivated again to get back into full time training. Because if you think about it, you've again you you focus that one day in September and you're nearly there, and then all of a sudden somebody's gone. Actually, we're going to shift that twelve months. Well, for me, it was, it was a, a real big psychological kind of hit. And I, I, I wouldn't say I spiralled out of like being an athlete, but it's more like I've just, st- everything started to relax and started to realise that I was in my 40s and did I really want it anymore? Did I need to go on to it for another year? Was I, was I still enjoying what I was doing? And then you kind of realise that there's 
an, another reason for, for doing what you do. The, the legacy of sport, your legacy, still real passionate about impact of Olympic and Paralympic sport, still wants to be involved, still felt I could improve and also still believe that I could be successful at the Games. And I think that's really important for athletes that you've got hope and you've got direction but also you can kind of believe that things are possible. There's no point of going to a Paralympic Games or Olympic Games if you just want to collect that tracksuit because you're really, and Tom Daly always said in my, in my podcast on track and ball, you don't want to be half arse in anything. You want to be really fully committed. Mm. Yeah, and he certainly came up with the goods, didn't he? Um... <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah, it was a fantastic result yesterday for gold. Absolutely superb. You, you mentioned about your diet. Are you kind of back in that frame at the moment in terms of the way you're eating now in the, in the run-up to the Games? I would say I'm, I'm, I'm more conscious about the effects of eating properly, effectively, and having a more regimented lifestyle around eating. Right. I think I think some, sometimes, especially when we talk about food and athletes as well, because we're very much, we're very focused on kind of our training and we're regimented with it. Where diet as well, or your kind of wellness around food, I think it's really important to kind of appreciate what food gives you and also appreciate that maybe you, 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 you can have a couple of down days where you can eat food with my young children which definitely don't have a well they have a healthier palate but they do like ice cream and chocolate and and i love chocolate that's one of my that's one of my pitfalls like dairy milk chocolate or or mackie's ice cream i love yeah yeah, but I'm good at the moment. I'm good at the moment. That's, that's the that's the that's the thing with kids. You know, it can be bad for your health. You see, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was also you mentioned before about your recovery as well, because of course yeah. you're speaking to us the podcast as an ambassador for Levitex, yeah. which is a, a sleep brand. Yeah. And I just wondered if that was also formed part of your recovery and how you actually sort of manage between sessions, because obviously that's really important as well, isn't it? It's often overlooked. Yeah, sleep sleep's really important. Recovery's got a lot of aspects of the process and again as a more experienced athlete you would you would expect when we when we talk about recovery how do you recover they'll be like oh yeah I do stretching I've got a foam roller and that's kind of how they go and you go well it actually starts with a good night's sleep and how you're sleeping have you got any instruments to, to then uh, look at how deep your sleep is uh, whether that's obviously a watch based or all the ring or any of these kind of devices that you use. Obviously having an appropriate mattress, pillow, positions that you sleep in, making sure you sleep at the right time, really important. And then moving forwards into obviously recovery foods. So whether they're antioxidants, food groups that help you recover after your session, proteins, etc. And then things like, I've got a game ready for icing after my session. I've got a swim spa, so I can obviously push my legs that way. I've got a Pilates machine. I've got a sauna at home. So these are things that I've built up over time. It's not, you don't just go, right, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to get every recovery strategy and I'm going to have it all at home. And then I'm going to use them all the time. No, it's about how it fits. Because you don't want too much going on in your programme. You don't want to go oh yeah, I need to make sure I get eight hours, 15 minutes of sleep every day because that just doesn't work. Mm. You need to put yourself in these these positions where you're able to relax and recover as part of your recovery and obviously sleep's part of that. And if, if 
every person's circumstances are going to be slightly different, whether you've got children, whether you're working as well as training. But it's about kind of looking at the cake and making sure that you've got a, an ample fall of recovery within that cake as well as training. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing because again, I, I think it's another good example of what people don't realize goes into the making of an athlete. No. As you said, a great example, you talk about recovery. People think, yeah, you know, I did a warm down, I did a stretch, did a bit of foam roller. I'm done. <laughs> and, and of course that no one's saying that isn't recovery, but there's a whole lot more to it clearly. Yeah. There's uh, lots of aspects of it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Now, unless um, Wikipedia has been lying to me, which it may well have done. It's happened, but it's happened in the past. Probably. I understand that you used to be in another life, possibly a dance teacher. I just wondered what that was all about. <laughs> A dance teacher? Yeah. No, I definitely wasn't a dance teacher. Wikipedia's definitely lying. <laughs> so uh, so I used I used to teach PE and I used to be a sports development officer. But definitely not a dance teacher. Somebody's obviously been messing around with my Wikipedia. I, I, wonder, I wondered who'd got in there. I, 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 did raise, you, I did raise an eyebrow, I have to say. <laughs> do you know, Wikipedia's one of those things where you have to take it with a pinch of salt. And what happens is, like, my mates get hold of Wikipedia yeah. and think it's quite funny to change things. And they've done it before. They did it before 2012 and 2016. So that's definitely that's definitely not true. And I'm sure the next time I have a podcast or go on TV, somebody will also say, oh, yeah, tell us about being a great dancer. Yeah. I'll be like, as a 44-year-old, I'm definitely not a great dancer. <laughs> and my kids definitely know I'm not. And my little lad's a better dance teacher than me. I think, oh, obviously, the good thing about Wikipedia is it, it kind of, it does make you reflect on some of your performances you've had. And I was a sledge hockey player, so I went to 2006 Winter Paralympics. And even those kind of performances that I forget about is on Wikipedia. So it's, it's, a, it's a great tool to kind of look back on and, and understand you've come a long distance. Let's say Tokyo would be my fourth Paralympics and three of them are summer. So to be able to go to four Paralympics and do both summer and winter, a great thing to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Winter Olympics, actually. So, yeah, I'm, ple- I'm pleased that you've mentioned that because I think it is really worth mentioning to to say that, you know, it's not, it's not you're not just... The aspects are different. Yeah, you, yeah you're not, you're not just a summer games different. person. You know, you, you've done winter as well. No, no. Yeah, and I started off in the winter kind of cohort of events. I found I found it really interesting because when you're in a, in a team sport and then you get to an individual sport, I think you take a lot of the lessons that you learn initially and then the ones that you obviously thought weren't helpful, you try not to have around you as an individual. And then the things that you did learn from being in that team environment, how effective a really good team works, then kind of bring that to bring that to your, your other event and... I, my last time I played ice sledge hockey was actually at the games itself. So I've never been on the ice since. I've had lots of opportunities to. But I kind of wanted to close that door. And at that time, I was still running. So I started running in 2004. I kind of went to the games and I said, look, this is my last time I'm going to play hockey. I want it to be a great experience. But also, it's my first experience at the at the games so what I, I was kind of, I was using it as kind of this is what it's looking like. So next time when I go to the games as an individual, I'm going to make sure that this is not a surprise and I'm just going to smash it. I'm going to go in as an experienced Paralympian mm. and hopefully use that, that experience that I had previously, which wasn't that great, and make use of it. Because what I always say to athletes, especially the young athletes, when you're racing, race as though it's your last ever event and give it everything like 
you need to empty the tank on the track and make sure you give it everything because you don't know whether it's illness or you just don't make the grade anymore. It could be your only opportunity. There's athletes out there that have only had one opportunity and never really took advantage of that. So that first experience was definitely learning for me. Yeah, emptying the tank on the track is a great one. It actually reminds me of the other the other night of the triathlon gold medalist whose name I've temporarily <laughs> forgotten. Certainly left nothing out there and he vomited as he crossed the finishing line, didn't he? Or even the road race girl that that won. She was yeah. like literally from from the get go. She she was on her own and literally as she finished, she wouldn't move. Never mind stand up. She couldn't yeah. move. She was that emotionally kind of engaged in the event and she just left everything down and that's so commendable because I know how hard that is to do I I did that on the road when I ran 242 in Chicago in 2009 I went there I had two paces that were like they were really great they kept me on my kind of pace from mile one and I remember crossing that finish line and I was like knackered I was like literally like struggling to like put a word together like even like kind of like emotionally trying to control everything I, I didn't want to sit down because I know I won't get up again so to know that you're able to do that and that's why I love the marathon I love the marathon event because you have to be like so in, in, in tune with like your nutrition your, your your training your strategy so many things can go wrong whether it's the conditions on the on the day you just your body just feeling crappy and make sure you just do that from like mile one for two over two hours on that red line. It's something that is, it's really tough to get into that zone. And I, and that's why I want to go back into marathons just to kind of enjoy it a little bit more because I know the last couple of marathons I did when I put it all on the line, you get to the finishing and go, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I know that feeling very well. I've run one or two marathons myself. I dream of 242. But um, that's uh, that's quite extraordinary. I, I wanted to ask you about the marathon because obviously you you know not only have you run those extraordinary extraordinary times, yeah. you've also then done the forty marathons in forty days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, forgive me if this is a silly question. You know, running a marathon for anybody is painful. You know, you go through pain. There's there's no way of running a marathon and not experiencing some pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, but for you, is there a lot of extra pain involved because of your disability? How, how what, what is that like? I, I just I just wondered what, what you know. What are you actually going through there? Uh, well, obviously, energy systems wise. When I when I started marathon running, I looked up a lot of surveys, like papers online regarding a single leg amputee, double leg amputee. What kind of energy expenditures do they have when they run? And for me, as a double leg amputee, it's nearly twice as much energy that I use. It's like it's one point six, I think, for single leg amputee, and it's nearly two times as much energy that I'm expending when I'm running so that one and then obviously how I run when you watch kind of how I run and circumduct I'm having to use a, a lot more glutes hamstring hip flexors core to control and to propel myself on the roads mm. and obviously as we know there's lots of camber on the roads it's climbs deep descents long flats and you're having to train yourself just like an able-bodied athlete would do on all these different services. So having to prepare, which I said at the start, preparation, preparation, preparation is key to success, is really important. And I'm the only person that's as a double leg amputee that's gone anywhere near 242 ever. So I'm just I'm hitting 
uh, new ground. So working with people in sports science, which is really important to kind of look at, obviously, markers, performance markers. Uh, working with, I'm a Nike athlete now, so we work, work on like the soles that I have on the bottom of my running feet. And I always talk about running feet to general members of public. And they say, oh yeah, over the last like, 10, 15 years, they must have advanced. I use, if you look at this, the first picture I uh, ran mm. in 2004, I was a lot skinnier. But now you look at the feet that I use now, they're exactly the same. Exactly the same. There might be some like modifications on the actual strength of the feet because I'm either lighter or heavier. But the actual shape of the foot, so the performance of the foot has not changed at all. What's changed is that I, I train as a full-time athlete. I've been able to access about 15 years' worth of performance, intel and, and tools that have given me the opportunity to kind of put the performances out there. So obviously within, within athletics, we know that there's lots of difference in performances within like nutrition and, and sportswear and, and prosthetics as part of that. Mm. But the prosthetics I use are the ones very similar to the ones that I used in 2004 where I ran five hours 19. Bit different, right? Slightly, slightly. But I guess yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess that's the experience, isn't it? Uh, that's yeah, the of experience course. That, and the of course. first one that I did literally had no training experience, no nutrition experience. I, I finished that, I had massive blisters on my stumps, mm. and I was like, never do this again. And then, <laughs> and then since then, obviously, I'd run 70. Yeah, talking of never doing this again, um, before before we finish, I know, I know that you obviously mentioned that last year you were considering that Tokyo would be your last Paralympics. Yeah, that's one, yeah. Is that still the case? How are you feeling about that as, it, as, it, as it's so close now? Yeah, and, and I never talk about kind of retirement because mm. I don't think I will ever retire from sport. I think there will always be, I'll always either run a marathon or be involved in the governance of sport. Like I said, I've got my Richard Whitehead Foundation now that supports people with disabilities in sport and empowers them through sport and also I'd like to maybe manage a, a performance team at some point so whether that's athletics or whether that's another sport whether that's Paralympic or Olympic I think I, the tools that I've got would cross over into most teams and hopefully uh, support a team in a different direction maybe a, a team that needs a little bit more uh, front-facing direction I'd be able to give them that but as regarding my own personal role on the track, it's not something like a lot of people say, oh, you must have had five years to think about retiring. I wouldn't say I get asked that question a lot and I think about it never. Literally, I never, I know, because I just think my body will tell me when I want to finish. And other pe- I think other people want me to retire on like a, a big high, but I think it's not this self-gratification thing. I think it's what it's... I retire when my body tells me that I've had enough mm. and whether the performance is there that kind of equates to, oh, you really need to retire or not. But mentally, I, I, I'll know. I kind of know. I would love to run in front of another massive crowd. Paris, obviously, the next Olympics and Paralympics is quite soon. Whether that would be that be the case or Tokyo, I've, I've, to be honest, I've not really thought about it. I think a lot of people want me to kind of retire at the top of my game and retain my title in Tokyo. And obviously I do. That's what me and my coach have been training for five years for. But is that the being all and end all? I think if life was only for the top of the podium, there'd be a lot of people underneath that person that would miss out. And that's not what sport is about, is it? Sport's about 
uplifting people and hopefully through the pandemic sport does that and watch the olympics and watch the paralympics watch the people that support them it's it's incredible incredible scenes yeah i i couldn't agree more and, and i would say that it's been absolutely uplifting chatting with you on the healthy for men podcast so from everyone at healthy for men we wish you the best of luck in tokyo but also for the future as well whatever that may bring for you so thanks very much richard look out <laughs> we never know we may even still see you as a dance teacher who knows what the future may bring <laughs> yeah, yeah imagine as a dance teacher brilliant. never say never richard thank you very much Thanks for listening to the Healthy For Men podcast. To read more about health, fitness and nutrition, check out Healthy For Men in Healthy magazine, available at Holland & Barrett stores and online at hollandandbarrett.com. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. Until then, goodbye.